Matthew 13, verse 3. And he, Jesus, spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness or depth of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. We'll go ahead and read the ninth verse as well. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. And then Jesus, at the request of the disciples, <clears throat> gives the interpretation, gives the meaning of this parable, beginning in verse 18. We'll not get to that today, but I do want to read it. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When any one heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and snatcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon, or at once with joy receiveth it, yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Well, this is a parallel passage to that which we read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, at the beginning of the service. The gist of this parable can be expressed in one sentence. So I'll state it that way to begin with, and we'll just keep recapitulating through the message. A sower sowed seed in four different kinds of soil, and the resultant growth varied according to the type of soil on which it was sown. I'll say that again. A sower sowed seed. That's what we call that kind of, it's like a cognate object, isn't it? A sower sowed seed on four different kinds of soil, and the resultant growth varied according to the type of soil on which it was sowed. That's an easy concept. Anybody here, even our children, we thank God for the children that are in the services, and they've got their little lesson. They're taking notes today. I love to see some of the things they write after the service, after the sermon. They can all understand that. Now, it's very important that we understand the meaning of this parable, especially. You know why? Because Jesus said in, in the parallel account in Mark's gospel, chapter 4, verse 13, understand or know ye not this parable, and how then will ye know all parables? This parable is the key to understanding. The, if you miss this one, you're going to miss a lot. Jesus said so. It's critical to understand the four so and yet I know preachers that don't get it right. This parable begins in a seemingly insignificant, matter-of-fact kind of way. It starts with a single man going out having a single purpose. Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Those words sound so straightforward, 
that we almost just slur right over them to get on to the story. But I'm going to hone in on that expression this morning. Those words are inspired too. And they have a great message for us. The message of intentionality in our witnessing. Critical to the bringing forth of fruit. And that's what this parable is all about. Bringing forth fruit, some 60-fold, some 100-fold, some 30-fold. It's all about fruit bearing. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 15. Critical to the bringing forth of fruit is both, number one, the work of the sower, and number two, the condition of the soil. Those two things are absolutely essential. Now, if you're discerning, you might be thinking, well, hey, preacher, there's a third thing you didn't mention, and that is the quality of the seed. You better have good seed. You're right. That is important. I didn't mention it. Why? Because we know from Luke 11 that the seed is the Word of God. That's perfect. We don't have to work on that. But we sure need to be pay attention to our work as the sower, and we need to be aware of the condition of the soil. This morning, then, we'll talk about the sower. When I get to preach again, it won't be next Sunday, but a a little time after that, I'll preach on the second part, the soils. The sower, in verse 3, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. As it is in the natural realm, so it is in the spiritual realm. No sowing, no reaping. No planting, no harvest. You know, here in Raleigh, North Carolina, the large urban, metropolitan area that it is, as well as many other places across our nation like this, we tend to forget our dependency and our connection to the ground, to the soil. We talk about a son of the soil, but a lot of us don't even know a whole lot about the soil, even if we're from North Carolina. We go to the supermarket and we get anything we want for dinner, breakfast, lunch, snack, and we just expect it to be on the shelf or in the freezer. We just do. But do you ever stop to think that somebody somewhere had to plow some fields and put in some seed either for a plant to become food or for to feed an animal that becomes food on our plate? Somebody somewhere had to plant a seed. So How important still is this matter of a sower, whether it's done mechanically or manually? With what interest we should meditate on that little expression. Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Just that simple, straightforward phrase tells me at least three things, three traits about this solitary figure. First of all, he was purposeful. He went forth to sow. He didn't go forth to reap. He didn't go forth to plow. He didn't go forth to fertilize, as needful as those things are. Jesus said he went forth to sow. Now, this was a long time. This is back in the first century. Jesus spoke these words in the first half of the first century. And so, this was long before modern farm machinery Uh, that we use Alice Chalmers and 
all that other stuff. He didn't drive a tractor, this sower. He just did what we call broadcast the seed. Or he dropped it into a carefully prepared furrow. So, let's even break it down even more. He sowed it purposefully, but he sowed it, we could say, indiscriminately. You say, preacher, that sounds like you're contradicting yourself. If he was purposeful, how could he be indiscriminate about it? How could he be random about it? Well, he was, he was purposeful. He went forth with the purpose of sowing, but he didn't really care where it landed. He just sowed it everywhere. And we, Jesus told about the four different kinds of soil on which it landed. Now, I remind you that we need to sow the seed of the gospel everywhere. Did you know that you cannot witness to the wrong person? You really can't. Now, some people get all hung up and worried about wasting time with someone who's not one of God's elect. Could I just give one verse that'll cover that and we can move on? Just jot this reference down. You don't need to turn there for the sake of time. But in Isaiah 32, verse 20, Isaiah 32, verse 20, Blessed are ye that sow beside all waters, all waters that send forth thither the feet of the ox and the ass. To be sure, some seed is going to fall on the hardened soil, some will fall on the stony soil places, some will fall among thorns where they'll be choked, but we're still to just broadcast it everywhere. Just witness to everybody. Everybody is a candidate for heaven or hell. Everybody is eternity bound. They're all made in God's image. And not one person is born in this world with a passport stamp for heaven. They must hear the gospel. They must believe. They must personally be saved. And you and I don't want to have blood on our hands when we stand before the Lord. Now may I hasten to add, and I need to say this, that if you get serious and intentional about this witnessing, and just giving forth the gospel everywhere. Some people aren't going to appreciate it. You're going to be branded a, a right-wing fundamentalist. You're going to be accused of trying to cram religion down somebody's throat. You may have the door slammed in your face. Or worse things said to you, you'll be rejected and ridiculed. Hey, they did the same thing to Jesus. But who knows how, though you may be, receive that kind of a reception now, God may let that seed germinate later and someone else reap it. So we need to be indiscriminate. Just give the gospel everywhere. God told Ezekiel to give forth his word whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. Secondly, and here's the heart of the message today, we need to give forth the seed of the gospel intentionally. That's what we're really talking about this year, being intentional with our evangelism. And here's why I need to park for a few minutes. And I, I prayed much about this segment of the sermon that you would not misunderstand me. <clears throat> and certainly not think that I am being um, censuring others who might not quite see it this way. But I do believe a great disservice has been done to the cause of our evangelicalism and to evangelism in our modern society. 
by a teaching that basically says this, and I want you to understand the teaching, otherwise I'll be constructing a straw man. There's a teaching that says this in, re in relation to the Great Commission of our, of our Lord, especially as it's given in Matthew chapter 28, probably the most familiar of the gospel passages or even those in, in Acts that give the Great Commission. The teaching says this, that when Jesus said, Go ye therefore and make disciples, that's the meaning, make disciples of all nations, that what he really meant was, as you are going, make disciples. How many of you have heard that? Well, everybody ought to have their hand up because I've said it before and I was wrong. As you are going, make disciples. I was told that years ago by people that supposedly knew the Greek and I wasn't a Greek scholar. I was told that the sense of the Greek was just be faithful to share the gospel with those whom God places in your path as you go about your normal everyday life. I've heard that again and again and again. And the implication is pretty obvious. That means, you know, you may be intending to do something else. You're going to the gym. You're going to get groceries. You're going to the bank. Uh, you're, you're going to take your kids to school. You're going to get a haircut or go to the hair salon, fill in the blank. And, but if God gives you an opportunity while you're doing intentionally something else, be ready to witness. Now, please listen carefully. That sounds good. And we certainly ought to at least do that. But Jesus is telling us it goes deeper than that. Thank you, Brother Jan. I hope by the end of the message, all of us will be saying amen. We need to be intentional. We need to go out with the purpose of witnessing, not just hoping that while we're intending to do something else, God might give us the opportunity. We're to make opportunity. And I don't hear many people saying that. I shared this with our teachers and staff in our in-service training devotions back in August. Without getting too technical here, I just want to tell you what the Bible really means. So you'll realize I'm not just making this up. When Jesus said, go, you, go ye and make disciples... <clears throat> That is not a present participle. For you people who understand grammar, especially Greek grammar, you'll know what I'm saying. It's not a present participle. It's an aorist one. The basic idea is not while you are going, but after you have gone. Can I say that again? The basic idea is not while you are going, make disciples. It is after you have gone. You have to go before you can make disciples. Both of them are commands. You say, well, why didn't Jesus just give two consecutive parallel commands? Well, glad you asked that question. The answer is simply this. The participle is a necessary prerequisite to the main command. In other words, the apostles must go before they could make disciples. And you'll see this construction over and over again. I, I could give you many instances. Let me just give you a, a few so you realize this is common in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Uh, the, the angel told the, the, the women at the tomb of Jesus on the day of his resurrection, go quickly and tell. They had to go first because the rest of the disciples weren't there at the tomb. Go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. 
In Matthew chapter 17, verse 27, Jesus told Peter, Go thou to the sea, the Sea of Galilee, and cast an hook. And he was going to catch a fish that had a coin in its mouth to pay the taxes. He wasn't at the sea. He had to go to the sea. And then he had to cast the hook. That was the main thing. You don't cast a hook in the Sea of Galilee unless you're intentional about catching fish. In Matthew 2, verse 8, Herod the king told the wise man, go and search diligently for the young child. They weren't in Bethlehem. They were in Jerusalem where Herod was. They had to go, leave Bethlehem, and leave Jerusalem, get to Bethlehem, and then they could search for the young child and find the house where he was. In Luke 22, verse 8, Jesus said to his disciples, go and prepare the Passover that we may eat. They had to go find the guy who would lead them to the upper room. Do you get what I'm trying to say? You've got to do one thing in order to do the main thing. You've got to go before you can witness. You've got to go with the intentionality of witnessing. And I think we've, some of us have forgotten that. Jesus didn't say, just be ready to do it. He said, go and do it. Go and do it. Now, God has convicted me of that. I'm not going to point my finger at you without my thumb being cocked back at myself. I've had to honestly face this fact. If I don't have a stated time of intentionally witnessing in the space of a week, I'm not likely to do it at all. I just have to be honest with you. There have been times, and this is a terrible confession for your pastor, there have been times when I've gone probably weeks without giving the gospel in a clear, present, complete presentation to somebody. But by God's grace, it's been different for quite a few months now, with very few exceptions. Behold, a sower went forth to sow. It was intentional. It was a dedicated activity, not an incidental one. Again, I say, notice, he did not go forth to reap. That's not what Jesus has ordered us to do. Sometimes he allows us to do that, but that's not what he's ordered us to do. That comes in his time. You can't make the seed grow, but you can put it in the ground. You can put it in, sow it in hearts and minds. And you can tell people, you're lost. God is gracious. You can tell them, Christ has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He offered Himself as a sacrifice by which sin is put away. You can tell them, and you'd be surprised how many right here in the Bible Belt in Raleigh, North Carolina, don't get it. I'm finding that out every Saturday. Beloved, let's get the seed out of the barn. Let's get it out in the fields that ere long will be white unto harvest. We can't create the harvest, but there's a place in the field for every believer. By the way, that's why God has left us here. And again, please don't misunderstand me. God has not left us here as believers to reform culture and make the world a better place. Now, wherever the gospel has penetrated and really made inroads, yeah, the world is a better place. But God hasn't left us here to do that. God hasn't left us here to build a utopia on earth. 
God has not left us here to eradicate AIDS and find a cure for cancer, as wonderful as that would be, because those people that are saved and their life extended are, by, by that cure are still going to die. Every one of them, unless they get saved and Jesus comes in their lifetime. And the only way they'll live forever is if the good seed of the gospel is sown in their hearts by someone doing it intentionally. And God causes it to spring up and bring forth fruit unto everlasting life. That's the only way they're going to live forever. We need to sow the seed indiscriminately beside all waters. We need to sow it intentionally. Behold, a sower went forth to sow, not just as you're going. Do it with intentionality. And then thirdly, we need to do it in faith. There's a little obscure verse in one of the more obscure books of the Bible that I want you to see. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to give you a little time to find it because we don't usually turn to that book. If you're going right in the Bible and you come across Psalms and Proverbs, slow down. Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, written by Solomon. And look what it says in verse 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I still hear the leaves turning, even though it's winter. Verse 4. He that observeth the wind shall not, what, class? So. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. You know what that tells me? There's never a convenient time to go after souls. Satan's going to make sure of that. The sowing of the good seed is always an act of faith. It's an act of obedience. You simply obey the commander-in-chief who gave you those orders, those marching orders. Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel. I think many of you know, and pardon the personal reference here, that I've buried a wife since I came here as your pastor. First funeral in this auditorium it was a funeral of Chloe in 2004. Preacher Payne sang at that funeral. The song I referred to, Finally Home. But God had extended her life for 10 years, from 1994 to 2004, because of a double lung transplant that took place over at Duke Hospital in September of 94. I'll never forget that day. My four children, much younger than they are now, they're all grown. They were with me in the pediatric waiting room of Duke Hospital. Early on, after the surgery started, we got a report from a nurse clinician who was dispatched to keep us abreast of what was happening. And I could tell she wasn't mincing words when she said, this is a very high-risk surgery. Your, your wife's heart is only operating at one-third of the capacity that it was when she was evaluated five months ago. And when that nurse told me that news about my wife's heart, my heart sank. I wanted to be left alone. I didn't want to talk with anybody. But we, the main waiting room was full, so that's why we were in the pediatric waiting room, and since I had kids, they allowed me to do that. Right after that, another party came in, four people, the man and his wife, their seven or eight-year-old daughter, and his mother-in-law. 
I did not feel like it. But because they were the only ones in the room, I started witnessing. His name was Navaru. I started asking him about his soul. It was pretty weak, I have to admit, because he played the role of an artful dodger. And he bluffed me. And I let him alone. I backed off. And then the call over the intercom came for their daughter to go back and have her surgery. It was just minor surgery, tonsillectomy. So he and his wife got up to take the girl, leaving the mother-in-law in the room right across from me. She looked at me and she said, you're a preacher, aren't you? I just learned to accept that. I, I, it doesn't matter what I wear, what voice I use, people say, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. I'm a missionary. And she said, I just want you to know my son-in-law is not a Christian. Don't let him bluff you. And she went on and said some other things. And she said, just this, with tears in her eyes, she said, just this morning I prayed that someone would talk with him about his soul. I said, got it. A few minutes later, he came back in, he and his wife. No, actually, the wife stayed out with the daughter. And I started interrogating him in earnest. I was ready. Within just moments, the Holy Spirit had him ready. That mother-in-law had been praying. I'll never forget, he got on, down on his knees. He didn't just bow his head. He got down on his knees on that waiting room chair and asked the Lord to save him. And somehow my spirits were lifted when I saw the Holy Spirit working. And I wasn't even surprised when just a few minutes later that nurse clinician came back in and said, it must have been a fluke on the heart monitor. Your wife is fine. Beloved, let's sow the good seed of the gospel both in season and out of season. When we feel like it and when we don't feel like it. Because when we don't feel like it and we do it anyway, it's probably when the biggest blessing is going to come. He that regardeth the wind, he that observeth the clouds, is not going to sow, not going to reap. Be purposeful. Secondly, this sower was prepared. We know he was. The Bible doesn't have to say so. A sower has to have some strength to scatter seed. A sower has to be prepared in body and, and mind and, and have the resources with which to sow. We often quote Isaiah 55 Verse 11, would you turn to verse 10 there? I want you to see the preceding verse, but while you're turning, I'll quote verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. But notice verse 10, if you will, the previous verse. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, and notice the next phrase, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. Isn't that amazing? The same seed that the sower uses to broadcast is bread to his soul, it's bread to the eater. Most farmers that I've ever heard of 
are sure to eat a hearty breakfast before they go out and work in the field all day. I mean, it used to be, and maybe you, you remember doing this or your dad doing this, if you grew up on a farm, you wanted to get that protein in at breakfast time. You didn't just grab a Pop-Tart and go out on the tractor. You took in that country ham and grits and eggs with red-eye gravy. Never forget the late Dr. Tom Malone, a wonderful pastor in Pontiac, Michigan. I heard many times he was raised by his farmer grandfather. And he talked about all the unhealthy stuff, according to the uh, nutrition and science today, that his grandfather ate for breakfast before he'd go out working. I mean, he ate all that stuff I mentioned, the sausage, the ham, the hog jaw, the chitlins, the stuff that's supposed to clog up your arteries and kill you. I'll never forget Dr. Malone saying, yeah, it did kill him. It eventually caught, caught up to him and killed him. He was 94 when he died. <laughs> the point I'm making is if you're going to sow in the fields, you've got to get some, something to eat. You've got to fortify yourself. Fortify yourself with the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. Read it every morning. Get so full of it, you're about to bust. you got to give it out. In this connection, I can't help but think of Jeremiah the prophet, the weeping prophet we call him. If you're in Isaiah, you won't have to turn far. Turn to chapter 20 of Jeremiah, look at verse 9. Let me give the background here before I read this. Jeremiah was a great prophet, but he had moments of weakness just like we all do. He had moments when he wanted to shrink back from doing the will of God who had called him to be a prophet. The reason he had those moments was he, God had commanded him to preach, but the message he had to preach was so unpopular that it was just a reproach and a derision to him daily. And he said in verse 9 here, Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak anymore in his name. He said, I'm going to quit the ministry. I'm going to resign. A lot of preachers have done that every Monday, but they're smart not to put it in the mail, that letter of resignation. I'm not going to speak anymore in his name, but notice what the Bible says, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing. I couldn't hold back. I couldn't hold it in. I could not stay. Let me tell you this morning, if the gospel get in your gets in your bones, you won't be able to keep it to yourself. You'll be like those lepers outside the besieged city of Samaria that the Bible talks about, that all of a sudden God did a miracle and uh, caused the enemy to leave and leave all the, the spoil behind in their camp, and all the rest of the city was inside the city walls starving to death. These four lepers can't be with the rest of the people, so they're outside the city, and they come to the camp, and they start gorging themselves and stuffing their pockets and, and their bags, and all of a sudden one of them says, hey, this isn't right. There's a whole city back there starving to death. We better tell them about it before some mischief befalls us. Would to God we had that same attitude about giving out the gospel. We better tell them the good news that Jesus died to save them. Otherwise some mischief is sure to befall us. You must be fed yourself to be able to feed others the bread of life. You must receive the gospel seed before you can sow it. You know, some people have gotten all their theology from man. They have the marked up books and syllabi to prove it. I'm all for seminaries. 
I recommend people to them, but I've seen some young men ruined in seminaries. May I remind you, if you want to give the bread of life to others, you're going to have to get it straight from God. You can't witness what you have not seen and experienced. You can't give out what you don't have. I believe this is what it means in Ephesians chapter 6 when Paul talks about having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. There's the matter of preparation. Just like a farmer goes to the granary to get the seed, you've got to receive the gospel seed from God yourself before you can sow it to others. We haven't come to this parable yet, but we will in Luke chapter 11. You need not turn there. I'll just summarize it briefly. I love this parable. It talks about, Jesus talks about a man who goes to the house of his friend at, at midnight and, and says, look, lend me three loaves. I'm in a desperate situation. The, a friend of mine has dropped in on me uh, 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 unexpectedly. I have nothing to set before him. He was desperate. He was importunate. He was embarrassed. But he was determined. What a better application. No better application could be made to that parable than to realize that the bread we're seeking is the bread of life. And this friend who has the power to help us is not reluctant like the man in this parable. No, this friend is Almighty God. He is more than willing to rise and give as many as we need. If we have a heart to help our starving sinner friends, He will give us all we need. The words, the entreaties, the message, the heart. Please forgive another personal word. I know I'm talking about myself a lot today. I don't mean to do that. But I guess outside of the illustrations from the Bible, personal illustrations are the best. After 20 years of pastoring this flock, some of you have been here that whole time, preaching Sunday after Sunday and oftentimes many Wednesday nights, I want to tell you I have had to face my utter inadequacies what can I say that hasn't been said already? I figured up the other day, I've preached almost 2,000 sermons at this church. How in the world can I be fresh and interesting to the same people week after week after week? I have to go to my Heavenly Father and say, Lord, lend me three loaves. One for Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. So I can be faithful to... Feed the flock. Lord, feed my heart first. Or you could tell it, and you wouldn't be coming back. You know, the seed itself needs to be prepared. Oh, don't misunderstand me. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is full of life. It is the power of God. But the sower needs to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of compassion as we sow that seed. A farmer was once asked, why do your seeds come up so fast? And he replied, because I steep them first. As gospel sowers, we need to steep our presentations, our lesson, our sermons, our witness with our prayers and our tears would you turn to a familiar passage of Scripture you may have memorized, Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. These were favorite verses of 
the late Dr. John R. Rice, who has been in heaven more than 40 years. But he lived these verses. Verse 5, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless, unfailingly come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I want to remind you this morning, often the missing element, often the missing element in our witnessing is the tears and the brokenness over lost souls. We may have the message down right. I mean, we may have memorized the presentation. We don't leave out any steps. We know all the verses. We've got a road map in our Bible. I mean, sit down, listen, this is what, you're going to go to hell if you don't do this. We've got it straight. But no results because we don't have the compassion of Jesus. You know my heart for missions, having been a missionary myself in the Caribbean for almost 19 years. You know who the very first American missionary was overseas? Adoniram Judson was his name. He didn't set out to be a Baptist missionary. He became one by the time he got to his destination. But in 1812, he set out for India. He was going to work with William Carey, which he did for a very short time. But then God redirected him to Burma. He left with his new bride of just a few days and Hazel time. He spent 40 years and died there. But he spent 40 years in Burma, which is now known as the country of Myanmar. But the thing I want to tell you about Judson, and you may have heard of this, so apropos of what the point I'm trying to make, how he came to Christ. It's nothing short of amazing. He was raised in a Christian home. He had a pastor father. Adoniram Sr. He was a Congregationalist pastor in New England. Judson Jr., Adoniram Jr., was a brilliant young man. He went off to what became known as Brown University. It was, it was called something else when he was there. And he was the valedictorian in his class. But while he was there, even as far back as that was, he was led astray by skepticism and higher criticism of other people that he thought were so smart. And he came home and announced to his parents that he was too smart to believe the old-fashioned gospel of Jesus Christ and the divinity of Christ and the inspiration of the scriptures. And he broke his parents' heart when he announced to them that he'd lost his faith and he'd become a deist. His father, being a trained theologian, tried to use reason. He tried to argue with him. But his son was too smart. He smashed every argument to smithereens. But his mother, Abigail, tried a different tactic. She didn't say a thing. He just broke into tears. She could not control herself. And from that day forward, she determined to pray for her infidel son. He was in a hurry to go to New York City. He wanted to become a playwright. After a year there, we didn't make it so good. He was traveling west, and he had to overnight in an inn in a certain place in New York, I believe it was. And you know the rest of the story. The very man who had led him into infidelity in college, who he perceived was so smart, 
There was only one room available in that inn. It was right next to the room where this man was dying. He didn't know it was that man until he woke up in the morning and he didn't hear the groans anymore. And he found out the name from the clerk at the desk. And he couldn't get back to his parents soon enough to tell them that he had re-embraced the Jesus that they had taught him. And the Word of God they'd instilled within him. And he became America's first missionary. Beloved, our tears avail. God uses our tears. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that he stores them up in his bottle. He's keeping track. You tell me what makes you laugh and what makes you cry, and I'll tell you what kind of person you are. And God is storing up your tears, and one day he's going to break them in blessing over your head. Will you pray with me that God will break our hearts over lost souls? The Bible says, when Zion travailed, she brought forth children. We men don't know anything about that birth pangs, do we? But I've been with the mother of my children. I've seen the tears when she brought forth each of those four into the world. I did what I could, but it wasn't much. When Zion travailed, she brought forth children. That works spiritually, too. Let's weep. Let's weep over souls. Let's weep over the hardness of men's hearts like Jesus did. Let's steep the seed first. The third thing I'll mention under this category of sower, and then I'm done. My time is about gone. He was propelled. Not only was he purposeful and prepared, but he was propelled. This sower went forth to sow. Something drove him. Something impelled him. He was energetic. He didn't let dead lice fall off of him. He was industrious. He knew that the, the night was going to come when no man can work, so he worked tirelessly all through the day. And so I plead with you in closing this morning, let's not only be intentional, let's be intense. I don't get it why we can scream and holler and make fools out of ourselves and go horse at a ball game, but we better not raise our voice when we talk to anybody about the Lord. I don't get that. I ask you, should we ever be less than earnest? People come to me sometimes and say, Pastor, you're so passionate. Well, should we ever be less than that? When we're dealing with eternity-bound men and women and dealing about matters of heaven and hell and life and death, how can we ever speak in any way except as a dying man to dying men? We must be more in earnest if we would be less than hypocrites. Are you tired of being a barren Christian? Are you tired of being tongue-tied, being powerless? And I urge you this morning, give yourself afresh to Christ's great soul-winning command. Go. Go ye. Go with intentionality. Go to sow. There's a place in the harvest for you and 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 you. And you, and you. All of you. When Jesus comes, don't let him find you idle in the vineyard. Let's pray. Father, please give us the tears and compassion of Jesus for lost sinners. Please help us to see them the way he did. Tired, harassed, sick, blind, 
crazy, heavy laden, exploited, guilt ridden. Lord, help us to see behind those painted smiles, that hollow laughter. Please give us the same sense of urgency that Jesus had to reach and to save others. Whatever it was that caused him to say, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, Lord, give it to us. Whatever impelled him to say, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. Lord, I want that. I must go and preach the gospel to other cities also. Lord, please give us intentionality. Help us to quit playing at this stuff. In Jesus' name. Amen.